Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. For those that haven't met me, I'm Bruce Struxma. I am the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church, and uh, we are wrapping up this morning a series on the book of Colossians that we titled This We Believe. And we've kind of been looking at the book of Colossians and looking at what Paul wrote to a church that was faced with a decision, a decision to continue uh, where they had always been or to step out onto a new path. And we've kind of been looking at it with the same idea of what might God be saying to us as a church here in Watertown? Uh, What might God be saying to us as the church, big C church in America? Uh, What are the opportunities we have to step out and where are the opportunities we have, uh, maybe opportunities is the wrong word, where are the spots where we have maybe been tempted to just lay back and let it coast. And so there's, there's this uh, decision before the church in Colossae, and there's this decision before us as a church uh, in America, in Watertown today. But as we are wrapping up this series uh, this morning by looking at Colossians chapter 4, so I'd encourage you if you have a Bible uh, on your phone or uh, physically with you to turn to chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but we are going to be reading what is perhaps Paul's last words to the, to the people in Colossae. Not his last words per se of all time, but his last words potentially to this church. And it got me thinking a little bit about famous last words. And so I thought I would, uh, we could play a quick uh, trivia game. I'm a big fan of these. If you have been around here at all, I've done a few of these. So I'm going to kind of open this up. I'm going to put a quote on the screen. I'm going to see if anybody knows who made the famous last words quote. And these are real. I'm not making them up. They're not gag ones. Um, But whose famous last words were, I'm bored with it all. Anybody know who said that? I'm bored with it all. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. Nicely done. Yep. Winston Churchill's last words, I'm bored with it all. I don't have any prizes for you. Just take... (laughs) The satisfaction of knowing you got that one correct. Um, How about this one? I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Any guesses? Any confident or less than confident guesses? Seeing none? Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. Yeah, which which is surprising because if his word, if his creations are not quality enough. I don't know that there's hope for any of us. Um, but that was his last words. And uh, finally, money can't buy life. Any guesses? I know these were kind of uh, not necessarily well known, but anybody? Anyone want to take? What was that? Not Warren Buffett. Uh, Bob Marley, actually. That was Bob Marley. Um. There you go. And, and not necessarily uh, bad words to hear, right? Uh, I think there was somebody, it may have been Warren Buffett who said something along the lines of, he who dies with the most toys still dies, right? Um, we, we, can, we can spend all this money and all this stuff and we, we can't take it with us. So Bob Marley, money can't buy life. And so, uh, but I've been thinking about these, and I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about that, because these could be Paul's last words to the church in Colossae. Uh, we know that later on in life, he'll write uh, the, the letter of 2 Timothy, which is assumed to be the last letter he wrote that we still have. 
Um, obviously, we don't have recorded Paul's literal last words as he, as he faced execution in Rome, but we do know in Colossians, he's talking about already being in chains. He's a prisoner. We, we assume that that is in Rome. We assume that this is at, towards the end of his life, though he probably doesn't know it at this point, right? He's in prison, but uh, seems still pretty hopeful that he'll get out. Um, we can look back now through the eyes of church history, and by the time he gets to 2 Timothy, he starts talking about being poured out like a drink offering and knowing the end is near. That realization is going to come for him. So he didn't necessarily write these words here intending to be his last words, but for the church in Colossae, they likely were. And again, when they first get it, they don't think that way, but think about after he's gone, them looking back and going, this is the last thing we got from him for us. And, and the importance that these words could carry with them. And, and I think that having that frame of reference in mind uh, a little bit to acknowledge that, that these over time could become more and more significant words for the church in Colossae is not a bad way for us to approach looking at them this morning. Especially because these sections, these whenever you get to the end of Paul's letters or any of the New Testament uh, epistle letters, there's often a list, you know, thank this person and thank that person and thank this person. And I think sometimes when we're reading in scripture on our own, our eyes can kind of glaze over and we can treat it in, in the same way we would like the list of nations in Genesis and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And, and we kind of kind of roll our eyes and kind of flip ahead and when does this get done? And we can kind of just skip over it. Or like we do at the beginning of Matthew when it's like Abraham had a son and we get all the way and we're like, yeah, 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 and it goes to Jesus. We get it and we move on. And it's tempting sometimes when we get to these to go, yeah, 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 and you thanked a bunch of people. And we kind of want the Academy Award music to start playing to get him off the stage. And, and, and I would encourage us to not skip over those sections. Paul is saying something intentional here and I, and I would encourage us to hear it as they would. To hear it as a church that, that gets this letter from somebody they know is in prison, suffering for the gospel. And they hear these important words and maybe later reflect on them more as they go, wow, we didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen to Paul. And gosh, that took a turn we didn't expect. And all of a sudden these words might carry a little more weight. And so this morning we're going to see what Paul has to say. And I think it's significant that he focuses on community. At the end of the book of Colossians, he's going to focus on community and he's going to talk about um, what they as a church are called to. And I think that's good for us to hear as a faithful community. What are we called to? And Paul is going to start by saying that a faithful community prays for each other. And I think it's so great that Ed started with, we are a people of prayer. And absolutely, I think we are a people of prayer. And, and, and Ed can highlight some of the things that we have prayed for and prayed about, and we can highlight all the different uh, prayer aspects that we have here at the church. We have the Thursday morning prayer. We have the Friday night prayer group. We have the Saturday night prayer group. We have the group that the worship team and the tech team that prays every Sunday morning for the service before it starts. We have all of these corporate prayer opportunities. We pray before our meals on Wednesday night. We pray regularly throughout the service as part of something we do. But prayer as a community is more than the corporate prayer we do. If that is the only prayer we do as a church, that's good. But that's not what he's necessarily talking about exclusively here. 
Paul is talking about the need for prayer to be something that we have that permeates our community. It's all throughout our community. And I'm reminded a little bit of Samuel and Hannah, um, or, or I'm sorry, Eli. Eli and Hannah. Eli was the priest, if you don't remember the story from Samuel, that's where I got that from. Eli is the priest and Hannah is a woman who cannot have children and she comes into the tabernacle in prayer. And Eli sees her and assumes she is drunk. And I think it gives us a glimpse into where, and I'm going to use the term church here to mean the Old Testament people of Israel in their worshiping community, as well as for ourselves. But it's, it, it's, it's tempting to look at them and go, shame on them for not recognizing prayer, for seeing drunkenness. But yet it was kind of a sign of how valuable prayer was in their community. That for them, it was more likely to see drunkenness at church than it was to see prayer. And we can get kind of critical of that and go, wow, things were really bad back then. But I wonder if that's only back then. Or as we look throughout the history of the church, I think we can time and time again see where the program, even the prayer program of church, can become the thing we do and it becomes so important that we forget how important prayer is individually. How prayer is supposed to permeate our church and culture, not just be a thing we do. And it's tempting to let it become the thing we do, and so we get to Paul in verse 2 of chapter 4 and his words, and he says this to the church in Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And our call here is to pray for each other. We are called to be a people of prayer. And that is more than just these prayer events. And that's more than just a list of prayer requests that gets sent out. We need to be lifting each other up. And I'm so grateful for the events we have, and I don't mean to diminish them in any way, but rather to say they, those prayer events need to be supported by a culture and a community that prays and that values prayer. And as we look at what Paul is saying here, we can see three things he's calling us to in our prayer. Number one, to pray regularly. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, or as the ESV version puts it, continue steadfastly. In prayer. And I love that translation a little better because it, it has this assumption that you're already doing it. Continue steadfastly. We are supposed to be a people that pray regularly. We are a people that are supposed to, to, to have prayer be something that just permeates our life, that it's a natural thing. And I think we can get into this, this temptation that prayer is a thing we do at mealtimes, maybe before bed, and then when things fall apart. That's when, we, that's when we look to prayer. It's not necessarily something we just do regularly. And this morning I got up and I was in my quiet time and I'm in, in the book of Ecclesiastes right now. And I read this from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and it's talking and, and, and Solomon in Ecclesiastes is telling the people to look to God, 
that the thing of most significance in our life is our relationship with God. And he says this, remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who give it. In other words, what what Solomon is saying there is, is don't just turn to God when life falls apart. We can't just wait till things fall apart and then go, okay, God, where are you? And Paul's words are the same, pray regularly. But he also says more. He says, pray mindfully, he goes on. Being watchful. Paul here uh, is challenging us to watch for God. Be watchful when you pray and then watch for it to happen. I think oftentimes we miss what God is doing because we pray for somebody and we go there. I've done my part of the job. I brought it to God and now it's, it's out of my hands. And now I sit back and move on to the next thing and it's, it's up to God. And Paul is saying, hey, be watchful. When you pray about something, then watch for what God is going to do. We are called to be aware. And I think many times for us Christians, the reason we think prayer might not work is because we have missed how often God has answered our prayers, even in ways we didn't expect or desire. But they were answered. But instead, we, we, we pray for somebody because they're sick, and then three years later, we don't go back and think, gee, they're, they're not sick anymore. Boy, God must have answered that prayer. We, we forget. Or oftentimes, we can then re-attribute the success of our prayer to something else. Right? You know, oh, uh, I, I got the job I wanted because I did really good in school. Despite the fact that I was praying about this for years, or, or whatever it is, we can, we can look at it and go, it was luck, it was circumstance, it was talent, it was skill. And the fact that I was praying for it, that doesn't seem to enter our mind. And Paul is calling us to be mindful. And so if that is you, let me encourage you to keep a prayer journal. If you forget, if you have a hard time looking back and seeing where God has moved, maybe keep a prayer journal, write down the things you're praying for, and then go back and look at it. See what God has done. Be mindful. And finally, he says to pray thankfully. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And he doesn't say when it goes your way. Be thankful when you get the outcome you wanted. He says be thankful. And I appreciate that as Ed was up here this morning praying, and we have some people that have passed away, and we can still be thankful that those people knew the Lord. We have an opportunity to be thankful. Is that the outcome we necessarily wanted? No. I think all of us, we can look at people in our life that are no longer here and wish they had been here a little longer. But we can still be thankful. Be thankful. And so we are called to be a people of prayer, and Paul does not hesitate to call this group of Christians, this church that he has never met. And he calls them to prayer. Pray for each other. And pray for me, he says, that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. His goal in prayer is not that he will be released from chains. His goal in the prayer is that they would be able to be ambassadors of the gospel. That's his prayer. He's calling them to be prayerful, not in a selfish way, but in a way that says, we want to glorify and honor God in all that we say and do. We want the gospel to go out. I think we as a church want to echo that. So be prayerful, church. We need to pray. And we need to pray regularly, mindfully, and thankfully, asking God to move. 
And then thanking him when he moves, even if it's in ways we didn't intend. And I think if we do that, if we take those three, then we can move on in the passage and have the same heart and mindset that Paul calls them to. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that section comes after the call to be people of prayer. We are called to be people of prayer. And like our passage from two weeks ago, we have this unlimited access to God and this incredible freedom in Christ so that we can bring others. That is our goal. And Paul here says the same thing. Do not pray for me to be released from chains. Pray that the gospel goes out and pray regularly so that your conversation can be seasoned with salt so that you can bring the gospel to those around you. So let me challenge you, where do you need to bring more prayer regularly into your life? And who do you need to be in prayer for? Who is that person that needs a conversation seasoned with salt, full of grace? Who in our church continues to need our prayers beyond what we have said this morning? Who in our neighborhood needs to encounter the love of Jesus Christ? We need to be a people of prayer. And so a faithful community is a community of prayer and it prays for each other, but he goes on because a faithful community encourages each other. And again, here the letter is gonna make a shift and it's tempting for us to think that this is just the thanks speech at the end of the Academy Awards. This is Paul saying thanks to this person and thanks to that person. Uh, you know, I'd love to thank my mom, which is, you know, or whatever. You know, he's going through the list and we just kind of skip to the end. And I would encourage you not to do that. Paul is wrapping up his letter, and in, in these concluding remarks, he's going to thank a lot of people and share some information. Now, it's tempting to do two things. I've kind of alluded to the first one to just dismiss it. The other one is there's been a lot of books over the years in churches written where they take one little statement and they write an entire book about it when we don't really know what was actually being said. There was a book that came out, and it's a fine book. I uh, I, if you want to read it, feel free to read it. I don't think it's harmful or detrimental or anything like that. But I do think it was interesting that they write, wrote an entire book based on one line in the book of Kings. David is talking about his mighty men and he lists all of his mighty men and he says, and this one went into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And that's the whole sentence. And they wrote an entire book about that. We don't know what he did beyond he went into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And that's an entire book. And we can take these little phrases and these little words and turn them into these big elaborate, we don't know. And, and so we have to strike a balance here between we don't want to ignore it, but also acknowledging that we don't know necessarily all the context because we weren't there. And a reminder that Colossians wasn't written to us. I mean, it is now because it's God's word and we have it and we can still take it, but Paul wrote it to a group of people that had a lot of insider knowledge that we, we don't have. And so I'm gonna try and thread a needle here a little bit to go, what is God saying to us here today that is significant without trying to put too much on top of this that maybe really isn't there? because this is still the inspired word of God. And so as we read it, we need to avoid putting too much into these verses, but we should look for what God is saying to us through them. And so I'm gonna continue in verse seven. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. 
He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And so our first greetings at the end here are words of encouragement. Paul is saying, hey, I'm sending Tychicus. Because remember back then, they didn't have the post office. They didn't have email. They didn't have these ways to to readily communicate information. Uh, And so the best way, the best way to show somebody you care back then was not a Hallmark card. The best way to show somebody you cared was to send a real person. Because that person would generally, especially in Paul's time, if they carried a letter, a, a piece of authority, they carried with it the, the express assumption that if people had a hard time understanding it, that person would speak for the author and clarify it. So he's saying, hey, Tychicus is carrying this letter. Be encouraged by what he has to say. We are called as, as a church to be encouraged. And, and he says, hey, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage you in your hearts. And and again, Paul's circumstances aren't good. Paul's in prison. If you keep reading Paul's letters, especially his prison letters, you'll see the list of people around him slowly dwindle and get smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, some of that is because he's sending people like Tychicus away. Hey, Tychicus, take this letter here. Take this letter there. Take this letter there. Timothy, here's a letter. But he's also going to have some people who are going to desert him. And he's going to slowly find himself more and more alone. And yet he's saying, let him encourage you. And so here he is, Tychicus, is showing up with the letter that we now call Colossians. And we can presume he's also carrying with it the letter to Philemon. And he's also carrying with it letters to other area churches. And he's, he's there to encourage them to encourage them, even though the news isn't good. Paul is in chains, and yet his challenge to the church in Colossae is to be encouraged by hearing about what God is doing. Not to glory in his sufferings, to be encouraged by what God is doing. And in the same way that we share those encouragements, we should be encouraging each other. And some of that encouragement is when we're in a hard time, somebody coming along and saying, yeah, but God is still working. Again, we can point to the roses on the altar that Ed talked about that we put there when people come to know the Lord. That should be an encouragement. When we hear what God is doing, should be an encouragement to us all. But it's also an encouragement to keep going. Again, he's looking at Colossae, Paul is, and he's saying, you're at a crossroads and you can choose to go this way or you can choose to go this way. Let me challenge you. Let me encourage you. Keep after the Lord. Let Tychicus continue to encourage you with everything I've said in this letter even though I am in chains. A faithful community encourages each other. But notice the last verse, verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. And this one has a little bit more that we can dig into. And we have in the weeks past, we've mentioned the other letter of, to Philemon and Onesimus and the challenging situation facing the church. Because Onesimus, remember, is a runaway slave who left Philemon, his master, and ran away and ran to Paul. And Paul, as evidence of the fruit of the gospel going out, that he said earlier, the gospel is going out, pray that it would continue to go out. And as evidence, he points to Onesimus. 
who's now a dear brother, Onesimus, ran away as a slave, goes to Paul and comes to faith. And he's now sending him back and saying, hey, he is one of you. That should encourage them, but it's also hard. This is a community that has reason culturally to not trust Onesimus. He was a runaway slave. Philemon has every right to kill him. This is an awkward and challenging situation facing the church. And Paul doesn't shy away from it. Even though he's never met these people, even though he isn't the one who started this church, even though he's in chains, he is still encouraging them to step into the hard conversation. Step into what is going on here. Do not ignore it and sweep it under the rug. He wants them to walk into this difficult conversation. And how is this encouraging? Again, it is evidence that the gospel is in fact going out. Paul has asked them to pray that the gospel go out and he holds up Onesimus. Onesimus is an example of the salvation happening while Paul is in chains. And we'll see the same thing in Philemon. Verses 15 and 16 in the book of Philemon, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And again, remember, Philemon's letter is also probably read out in front of the entire church. This is known or will be known to the congregation in Colossae. Paul is encouraging them not only to lift them up and support them, but encouraging them to take their next step in their faith. And so my question for us as a church is where are we encouraging those around us? Those who are struggling, we need to lift up. But we also need to be challenging each other to grow deeper in our faith. Where are the spots where we need to look at each other and say, hey, it's time to grow. It's time to grow up. It's time to move on. Instead of stepping away from the challenging conversations to step in and go, I'm here. And I'm here because I want to encourage you. Not because I want to confront you. I'm not coming in as the authority, as the teacher. I'm coming in as a listener learner with you to hear from you, but also to encourage you, to encourage you to maybe take another step, to maybe think about it a different way. We as a church don't want to shy away from every hard conversation. We should, as Paul does, encourage the church to step in, to step in with each other, to encourage one another. Think of Paul's entire argument leading up to this in the book the book of Colossians. Our freedom in Christ is not for the sake of freedom or for personal indulgence. We are free to serve others. And in Christ, we are all slaves to Christ as our head under his authority. But he also reminds us in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 11, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And what better example than Onesimus? So this call to encouragement is not simply to make them feel better. It is a call to growth. So encourage each other. Because a faithful community encourages each other. And a faithful community also walks alongside each other. Because Paul doesn't stop there. Paul continues on with his thanks. And we're going to see here it takes another step and, and he's going to go into more names. And he's going to go a little bit more rapid fire now. And, and again, this is a spot where, where it's tempting to just skim over it. 
But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul does not drop a truth bomb on people and walk away. And while he's not there in person, he has sent a whole lot of people there to encourage them, to walk alongside with them, to journey with them. And it is to his own fellow journeyers that Paul now focuses. Beginning in verse 10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And these are some fun names for me, partly because they're fun to say. I mean, come on, how often do you get to say names like Aristarchus and Tychicus? And by the way, if you ever run into names like those, just say them loud and boldly and everyone will assume you're doing it right. I don't think anybody here has questioned it. But that's, that, so they're fun to me for that reason. But this was not written to us. And again, like Ed, when he got up here, and I'm highlighting Ed a lot this morning. Thank you, Ed, for being here. But like Ed, when he got up here to pray, he listed a bunch of names for us. Most of those names were known to most of you and didn't need any color commentary. But some of you, maybe you're new, maybe you haven't met those people, you didn't know who they were. In this case, we are all on the outside. All of us don't know who these people are, or we know very little about them. And so I want to give a little bit of insider knowledge that we have through the study of Scripture picked up on to help us see what God is saying to us in this list of names. The first one is Aristarchus. Don't know much about him, except that he is regularly with Paul. We'll see him in Acts when Paul is almost arrested at Ephesus. Aristarchus is one of them they do pick up. We see now he is in chains with him and, and, and he'll be mentioned in Philemon as well. Aristarchus, in other words, has been along with Paul for the long journey. And the encouragement for us with Aristarchus is this. Sometimes we are a lifelong journeyer with somebody and nobody else knows it. We are unknown and the influence we have had might be unknown even to us. But Aristarchus is along for the long haul and now Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. And then he goes to Mark, and probably the Mark who wrote the gospel, the gospel of Mark, John Mark. But more significantly for this letter, the same Mark who Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement over in Acts 15 that caused Paul and Barnabas to disagree so vehemently that they split ways. But now we see that Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark are, if not fully reconciled, on that road to recovery. And for us this morning, this is a reminder that we can walk with people even if we've had a sharp disagreement. One of the things I think we miss in reading that is Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement in Acts, but they continue to be on mission together separately. They continue to live out the gospel. Now, they aren't traveling together anymore, but I think we can see that they were still supporting each other, even though they disagreed. And Justice, who's, called, uh, who's also known as Jesus, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, and Nympha. Not a whole lot we know about them. We assume Luke is the same Luke of the Gospel of Luke. And we assume these others are Jewish converts to Christianity. 
But Paul is encouraged by them, and Epaphras is the one who brought the gospel to the Colossians. And so this is, this is a very significant group for Paul. These are people that are well known to the church in Colossae. And while they might not know Aristarchus as well, and they might not know Mark as well, and some of these names might be new to them, they know Epaphras. He is the one who brought them the gospel. And then we see that Nympha and the church that meets in her house, I don't know much about her except that when there was a need, she opened her home. And, and I would want us to look at this list because the call for me, and I think the call for us all, is to surround ourselves with a variety of believers. To continually open your home to new believers, to open up relationally to new people. To continue to pursue walking alongside other believers. And I heard a, a, a gentleman speak once and he talked about the need for us in Christian relationship to look at some people as beach balls and some people as footballs. Some people are like a beach ball at a concert that you're standing there and the ball comes and you touch it and it moves on. And that's all you ever get, one little tap. But others are people that are like a football that we have received and we're gonna tuck in and carry them with us for the long haul. And we can get really tempted to just have football people in our life, to just have those that we're gonna hold really close. And once I have my group, I'm not gonna worry about anybody else out there. And I think the call for us from this is Paul is listing all these people who are coming and going in his ministry. Some who, like Aristarchus, have been there for a long time. Some, like Epaphras, who showed up and brought a community of people to faith and then moved on and isn't there anymore. And others, like Luke, who are going to be around for a while learning and eventually will write books about what God is doing. And Paul is challenging them, is thanking them. And the challenge for us is who are we opening up our life to? Who are we walking alongside, maybe for just a short time, but maybe, maybe there's somebody that for a while has been a beach ball in our life that we need to pull in and hold them a little closer. Who are you journeying with in this life? And are you open to bringing new people in as a church? Are we open to letting new people in and being vulnerable and opening like Nympha, opening our life to new people? And when there's a need for somebody, opening ourselves up to that need. My, my point is that Paul is sitting in chains and he is still prioritizing relationships because a faithful community walks alongside each other. And finally, a faithful community does not stand alone. And one of the big, that's one of the big points I, I hope you've gotten out of this series is that we are not called to be alone as individuals or as a church. We as a church are not called to stand alone in our community and we as individuals are not called to go it alone as Christians. We are called to be in community. And we've been doing that, we're, part of the way we've been doing that and thinking about that is we've been going through the creeds. We looked at the Chalcedonian definition, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. This reminder that we stand as part of a bigger history of Christian faith, not just as a solo church sitting off by ourselves. Because they also help us triage our faith. We go, if these are the core things, then these other things we can set aside. And we can call you brother and sister even though we have these disagreements. What is of primary importance and where can we stay faithful? And so Paul is going to sign off on his letter, but we will see in this a picture of unity in the larger church. Verses 16 and 17, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans 
and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And as I've said a couple of times throughout this series and already have said today, these were meant to be read publicly. All people in the church would hear it and the church in Laodicea would hear it and they would hear that letter as well. Because Paul is tying them together, say, don't try and do it alone. As a church, don't try and do it alone. You are united with your neighboring churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Paul is sending ministry help to the church. Be encouraged by what God is doing. And that is our call as well. We can easily look around at the world and think that we're the only ones. And I think of Elijah after all these years of standing against uh, the, the pagan idolatry of his country and, and he's finally off and, and God has taken him away and he says, God, I'm the only one. He goes, I have reserved hundreds who have not bowed a knee. You are not alone. Stop thinking you're alone. And I think the call for us is the same as well. We are not alone. We are not the only ones. We stand under one God. And we stand with other godly people under the authority of our church. And Paul is calling them to that as well. And one example we have in our community of that is the Thanksgiving Eve service coming up. And I would encourage you, that's an opportunity for us to look at others that we do have disagreements with. There are going to be churches there that we don't align with fully on a lot of doctrinal issues. But I would argue all of those churches would stand in agreement with us on the core issues and we can stand with them. And Thanksgiving Eve is a great opportunity to say, we stand with you. Even though we have these disagreements, in some cases a sharp dispute, we want to stay in relationship with you because more importantly, we stand under God. And this morning we were going to read the Athanasian Creed. Um, and if you want to read that, and it's in, the, it's in the handouts at the back that we started this series with. But as I was going through this series and through this sermon specifically, I came to the realization that I think it's better for us this morning, instead of the Athanasian Creed, to read the uh, two sections of the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith that I think apply to what we're talking about. To show that this isn't just Bruce's thoughts either. You know, Bruce isn't just up here trying to convince you to do these things. This is stuff that we as a church have believed for generations. And so we're going to read, I'm going to read, and I would encourage you to read it with me from the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith, section 7 on the church. Would you read with me? We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches, whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. And section eight on Christian living. We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion toward the poor and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the spirit's power and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, 
we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. This is what we are called to as a church. We are called to be a light in our community. We are called, like the church in Colossians, to make an impact not only in Colossae, but in Laodicea and Hierapolis, to stand together with other believers, and we are called to do the same. So we stand in unity with Christians throughout time, and we stand with other churches in that unity. And as I end this message this morning, I want to end by reading our last verse from Colossians, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And Paul writes this from prison. And whether those chains are literally on his wrists or figuratively holding him back in the sense of house arrest, Paul is suffering on behalf of the gospel. And yet it is clear throughout this letter that he is also deeply concerned about his church, a church of people he has never met. And Paul desires that this church should rise up and they should pursue Christ. And he is calling them to that even though he knows he will maybe never see that outcome. And so his call is not follow me. His call is may the grace of God be with you. And so that's where I think we want to end this morning. May God's grace go with us. No matter where we journey as a church, may God's grace go with us. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for how you are at work in this community, God, both here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church, God, and in our larger community of, of Watertown Mayor and the other communities we come from. God, we want your message, your truth to go out. And so, God, I pray that as we seek that, God, that we would be a people of prayer who encourage each other and walk alongside each other. And God, help us to remember that we do not stand alone. Not only do we stand with you, God, but we stand with all other believers. And God, as they desire others to come to know you, God, may that be the desire of our heart as well. And so, Lord, would you go with us in your grace. I pray this in your name. Amen. As we end this morning, a couple of opportunities for us as a church to walk alongside and to encourage each other. I talked a little bit already about the Thanksgiving Eve service. I would encourage you to get that on your calendar. It will be at Trinity Lutheran Church this year at 7 as an opportunity for us to worship with our fellow brothers and sisters. Finally, a new thing that has come out. If you're looking for those opportunities, looking for ways to get plugged in, uh, you can text keywords to the church. Alicia mentioned the word welcome to the church phone number uh, to get some of that connecting info. I would add to that the word calendar. And you can text that and see what is coming up in our schedule as opportunities to get plugged in with each other, to encourage each other, and uh, to be able to walk with each other. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that, um, that opportunity. As we end this morning, I'm going to end with uh, Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.